our God is in this place. And he greets us. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people say, amen. As God has greeted us and extended his peace to us, we invite you to turn and extend that peace to others. Just shake a hand and say, the peace of Christ be with you, or simply, God's peace. Our students will tell you that every Sunday at Loft, we have an offering, and the offering is for what? Yes, you heard two answers. One was the Community Care Fund, and the second one was us. Both are correct. You get points for both. The Community Care Fund is a fund that we all give to every Sunday at Loft, and it's for students who run into emergency financial difficulties. Uh, for example, if a student loses a parent and has an emergency and needs to fly home, then the community care fund is where we get money from to send that student home. If uh, someone has emergency dental surgery and their insurance doesn't cover it, the community care fund is the thing that they can go to that will help them get through that financial crisis. So we give to this every Sunday, and it's a way of remembering that we're part of a community, and it's a way of remembering that even though we don't have a lot of money when we're in college, the important thing is to develop a discipline of giving. We are strengthening our giving muscles. We think that's part of what it means to be a disciple. And so now we are going to celebrate what God has done in our lives by taking an offering for the Community Care Fund. The ushers may come forward.
That was a song by The Brilliance. The Brilliance is a band that has been at Calvin a couple of times. And uh, you can tell they have thoughtful and thought-provoking lyrics. As a community, we've been marking too many deaths this year. And uh, this week, Kara Darland, one of our students, lost her mother after a very short battle with cancer. This makes the fifth student this year who has lost a parent. Jim Bratt, who's one of our professors, lost his mother within the last week. Nancy Meyer, our women's athletic director, lost her mother within the last couple of weeks. There's a lot of grief on this campus. And so when we gather together at Loft, we always name the people who, are, who give us permission to name them and say what's happening in their lives. And then we promise not only to pray for them, but to pray for them throughout the weeks to come. One of the ways that God redeems stories like this is this way. There's a student who lost her dad when she was 12. He died of a brain tumor. And when she came to Calvin, it created another sense of loss because her family was away and she was deeply grieving. And now she's a junior. And as God has been working in her life and healing up that grief. And when she heard about a student named Brandon who lost his dad just after school started, she, who didn't know him, just sent him a Facebook message and said, I know how you feel. 
I know what it's like to lose your dad. Would you ever like to get together and talk? And he said, yes. And so, for the last few weeks, each week, the two of them get together and talk about what it's like to be people who believe strongly in the resurrection and who are very much living with grief. And she said to me this week, it's been so good for me. It's been so good for me to walk with Brandon this way. That's what it means to be part of a Christian community. Will you pray with me? Our Lord, we do give you praise for the resurrection. And as we have sung this morning, we can move out of the fear and dread of the tomb to you. And so we pray for those in our community who are grieving. We think of Kara, who lost her mom, and for Jim and Nancy, who lost theirs. And whether we are 19 or whether we are 64, it's a loss. It's deep grief. And so we pray that you surround these people and all those we love who are in a season of grief. We thank you that we do not grieve as people who have no hope, but we grieve as people who long for you, Jesus, who long for you to come back and make this world right. And we think of it not only when we lose someone we love, but we think of it when we look at this world that is deep in grief, struggling with Ebola and violence and wars. Sometimes it's overwhelming. It's easy for us to get caught up in cynicism and bondage and despair. But instead, Jesus, we come to you. We come to you because you are the light of the world. You are the resurrection and the life. You are the way and the truth and the life. And so, Jesus, when we are in despairing and we are in grief that is threatening to overwhelm us, remind us that you are with us in our grief and in our suffering. We thank you, God, that you are not someone who stands far off and just watches things unravel, but you actually move in. That suffering is where you work. It's where you live. You are not afraid. And because of that, we are not afraid. So raise us up to be courageous and lively people. We thank you that on this campus, we can walk with each other. I think of all of those who endured midterms this week and their first papers and their first projects and they had tutors who helped them. They had roommates who were encouraging them. They had RAs and Barnabas who were praying for them. They said, you can do this. And then maybe they had mom and dad come this weekend and buy them junk food. Thank you for all the ways in which we can care well for each other. We thank you for this place. We thank you for Calvin College, for the fun events of this weekend, for building canoes out of cardboard, for making amazing music, for playing flag football, for laughing and playing and enjoying who we are as your beloved children. We thank you. And we thank you for worship. We thank you for the students who use their gifts to lead us so well and craft such a lovely service that allows us to enter in to your space. 
And Lord, now as we turn to your word, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you will come upon this place. That you will use a letter written centuries ago to crack open our hearts so that you can get in there and do what you need to do to make us ever more like Jesus Christ, our resurrection and life, in whose name we pray, amen. So we've been walking through the book of James. And our students uh, will tell you that James is a very dense book. There's a lot going on in every little section of James. And so as a preacher, that can be overwhelming because there's no way I can cover everything in every section. And so the advantage of being at a place like Calvin is that I preach on it on Sunday. Someone else takes a shot and preaches on the same passage in a little different way on Monday. And then that passage shapes our worship through the rest of the week. And then everybody who's in a Bible study gets to take a crack at it and say, what's going on in this passage? How does it apply to our lives? How does the Holy Spirit use it to change us? And so it's been really fun and challenging, I would say. Wouldn't you agree? To work our way through James this year. It's been really fun. I'm going to go with fun. (laughs) James, if you have your Bible, is toward the end. And we're going to be looking at chapter 4. If you have a Bible on your smartphone, that's perfectly fine to use that as well today. We don't have Bibles in the, in the pews. It will also be on the screen. We're reading James 4, verses 1 through 10. The version on the screen and the version I'll be reading from is the New Revised Standard Version. This is what James says. Those conflicts and disputes among you, where do they come from? Do they not come from your cravings that are at war within you? You want something and do not have it. So you commit murder. And you covet something and cannot obtain it, so you engage in disputes and conflicts. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly in order to spend what you get on your pleasures. Adulterers, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that it is for nothing that the Scripture says, God yearns jealously for the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. But he gives all the more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy into dejection. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Not exactly the most cheery section of Scripture. We've been learning that James was someone who was deeply admired and respected by the people to whom he was writing. James, the author of the book of James, was most likely the brother of Jesus. He was a leader in the early church, and particularly he wrote and ministered and talked with Jews who believed that Jesus was the Messiah. Jews who believed Jesus was the Messiah. 
And you know the stories of the early church, that the Jews who believed that Jesus was the Messiah were often persecuted by the Jews who did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And this led to the diaspora. It's addressed in the first verse in James. He's writing to all the people who've been spread out because of persecution. And we've learned that the people to whom James is writing generally fell into three categories. There were the rich And a lot of the people who were rich and Jewish were rich and Jewish because they aligned with the Romans. They aligned with the oppressors. They aligned with the people who were in power. They did, or their parents did, or their grandparents did. And then there were the poor, the people who are trying to make ends meet, just trying to survive. Their land had been taken a generation or two ago. They were trying to survive. And then there were the zealots. The zealots were a sect of Jews who hated Rome and anybody who aligned with Rome. And they were plotting about how to revolt against Rome. And James is writing here about the quarrels and disputes among them because every group was discontent with what life had handed them and was desiring more. So the rich were discontent. They wanted more. They wanted more security. The political climate was very unstable when James was writing. There were a lot of threats to them and their land and their wealth. And they desired more and they were discontent with the way things were. The poor people, understandably, were discontent with the way things were because they did not have enough. And they wanted more. They wanted to be able to provide for their family. They wanted to be able to make ends meet, to survive another season life seemed very hard. And for the zealots, they were discontent because Rome was everywhere and Rome was in power and they were sick of Rome and they desired a different society. And so in the congregations that were gathering to worship Jesus as Messiah, you had the rich people who weren't really giving enough to the poor people and the poor people were resenting the rich people and the zealots were ticked at everybody because nobody was as passionate about a pure Jewish nation as they were and it was this big mess of people. And James calls them out and he says, you are adulterers. We're like, well, that's a little strong. But James is in a long line of Old Testament prophets. Those of you who know scripture know that one of the images is that's used repeatedly in scripture to describe the relationship between God and God's people is that between a groom and a bride. The people of God are the bride And the Old Testament prophets again and again call the bride back. They say, you are cheating on your first love and you need to come back. Be restored to your first love. And that's what James is saying here. You're adulterers. You're cheating on your first love. You're loving the wrong things. He says, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? And we may think, well, he kind of downshifted. You know, adultery seems pretty significant. Like, that's a big deal. But then he's like, well, you're just friendly with people? But the idea of friendship in antiquity was a very powerful concept. There were actually people who made pacts, covenants with each other as friends to say, I will be there for you for your entire life. You chose a friend because that friend had common values, common interests, 
This friend would make you a better person. You would make that friend a better person. Together, you would be better than you were apart. And so you would covenant with each other as friends, something that we may want to resurrect in the 21st century. And so when James says to the people, you are friends with the world, that was very offensive to them. Because it said, you are aligning yourselves with the values of the world. You are saying that what the world thinks is important, you think is important. You are ready for the world to influence you and shape you and change what you love. You are starting to love the things that the world loves. And the world is pretty seductive. The world is constantly telling us what we should love. In the last two days, these are the catalogs that have come into my house. Every place I have ever bought something from in the last 10 years has started to send me catalogs because this is the season of shopping, right? This is like, make your Christmas list, start dreaming, start desiring all the things that you do not have. And they do this in a very seductive way, right? It's like, I just don't want the flannel sheets. I want the attractive person with the little baby and the, the little comfy Sunday morning because don't we all know that sleeping in bed wearing a sweater with a child who's wearing nothing is a really good idea? <laughs> so it's not just about the thing, it's about the whole life, right? I just don't, I don't want the fitness clothes. I want to be like, I want to look like this. I want to be able to like be all ready on a Sunday morning, go off for a run, you know? I want to have beautiful things in my life. I want to have the warm jacket. It's cold. It was cold this morning. I want to have that. Ooh, leather things, right? It's like, ooh, beautiful things from my house. I didn't even know they made some of this stuff. This is great. And I don't even know what that catalog is. And, you know, it's like seductive. Love the things that we love. And if you don't have this, you are discontent. You're not quite enough, actually, because... You don't have a sweater with an owl on it. <laughs> I know. You just got like the little logo. That's not enough. It's just not good enough. Right? Love what we love. And if it's not catalogs, it's the little pop-ups that come on your side when you're uh, doing online. You're on Facebook and it's like, ooh, shiny thing. Ooh, new thing. Ooh, once upon a time you did a web search for this and now there are 12 of them. Love the things that we love. Be very discontented with your life. Your life is not complete until you love what we love, until you have what we have. Catalogs create in us desires for the wrong things and discontent with what we have, and so does this. You're all looking at yourselves right now. Am I in the mirror? Am I in the mirror? I don't know. In the mirror? Am I blinded by the shiny lights? <laughs> Every day we look in mirrors. Every day. And every single person, you're distracted by the mirror, I can tell. Every single person in this room looks in a mirror and knows what you would change about yourself. Every one of us. 
and we usually find the flaw about ourselves, and then just within moments later, we see the person who is perfect with that thing. We see the, oh, lovely, a whole new little development on the skin here. That's great. Thank you so much for that. We, like, do the, you know, the, the triage. And then we walk down the hall, and we sit in the class next to somebody who always has perfect skin. Or we put on our, you know, man-sized small shirt and our, you know, our jeans that are still kind of hanging off our hips. And everything in the catalogs tells us that this is what a man looks like. And we just, we feel so small. And then we walk down the hall and we see the six-foot-four guy with the wide shoulders and the extra-large t-shirt that's like straining to stay on his shoulders. And we're like, Really? Or we have the frizzy hair, bad hair day, and we're just trying, and we, you know, you do the baseball cap, you do the thing, you do whatever, you put on a head covering of some kind, and you end up walking to class down the entire path behind somebody whose hair is just like flowing down her back. You're like, seriously? And it's almost no shave November. And some of you are like, Look, I can look all I want, and I can grow my hair for an entire month, and it's only going to be peach fuzz. <laughs> and my sweet mate, or Luke Harkema, <laughs> can grow a beard in a weekend. <laughs> it creates discontent, and it makes us desire the wrong things. Is that pretty? Is it on there? Oh. <laughs> shiny, shiny. So the seduction of advertising, the seduction of the mirror, and the seduction of social media. Ho, 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 ho. So uh, late May, early June, campus is quiet, and I'm working my butt off. Because at the end of every academic year, I have to write all these reports. I have to write reports about my department, and I have to do evaluations on every person in my staff, and i got to wrap things up and have goals for the next year, and it's just like, ah! And this June, I was preparing to go teach a class for an entire week, and so early June, I'm in my office, and I'm working hard, and every now and then, I would take a break, and I would look at Facebook, and do you know what's on Facebook in early June? People on vacation! <laughs> oh, look, we're at the beach. Oh, look, we're at the mountains. Oh, look, we're eating s'mores. And I'm like, oh, look, I'm writing another report. <laughs> They've actually come up with an acronym for this, because, you know, we do that for everything. It's called FOMO. Do you know FOMO? Fear of missing out. And it's actually become something that people pay attention to because we look at the lives that other people are living and we think, I'm not living that life. I mean, right now, my Facebook feed has been flooded with engagements. Has your Facebook feed been flooded with engagements? I can tell, like, okay, okay. And I know that for every engagement picture I see, there are people who are friends with that person who are liking that picture and their hearts are breaking a little bit. 
because they don't have anybody. Or we see that somebody gets to go to a concert or somebody gets to meet somebody or somebody gets to travel to Rome and we're just like, oh, man. And it creates in us this desire for the things, the wrong things, and this discontent with what we already have. And then that creates these disputes and quarrels among us. I'm going to slip on this. I'm just going to come over there. Because you start to resent the people around you who have the things, who look good, who have the shiny new iPhone, and you're like two iPhones back now. And your iPhone feels so heavy compared to their new shiny iPhone. And that person does have the new sweater with the owl on it, and you don't. And this person's parents did come, and they bought them an entire case of easy mac and cheese. (laughs) And you don't have that. And it creates all this angst with us because, you know, we want to steal the sweater, and we want to break the phone, and we want to eat all the easy mac and cheese. And it just, it doesn't make us want to move toward each other into community. It doesn't make us better. It doesn't make us love God anymore. These desires, these cravings that the world is trying to sell us actually make us feel worse. They actually make us feel empty. And James says... Do you know what God says to people who are adulterers, who are friendships with the world? James says, oh, our God, he gives grace. Grace. James doesn't bully people into obedience. He doesn't say, get your act together for Pete's sake. He starts the passage and he talks about the problem. And then the crux of the passage, the core of the passage, the swing, the hinge of the passage is the idea of grace. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. He gives all the more grace. He wants his rich people and his poor people and his zealots, all the Jews who believe in Jesus, to remember why they believe in Jesus. Because in Jesus, we see grace. In Jesus, we see a God who sees all of us running after other loves, and he comes running after us. Grace is a God who sees us running after all these others' loves, and he comes running after us. That's grace. Grace says to us when we are attracted by the shiny and the new, grace does not say to us something like, look, you have hot and cold running water, You have a bed to sleep in and food to eat, so just be quiet. Grace says, I know you like the shiny and I know you like the new. Can I do that to you? Can I make you new? Grace comes to us when we are brokenhearted by what we see in the mirror. 
And it doesn't say to us, I don't make junk, buck up. Grace says to us, look, honey, look at me. Look at the one who made you. And come here and let me tell you why I put you together just the way I did. That's grace. Grace comes to a tired chaplain looking at happy pictures on Facebook and doesn't say, you've got a pretty good life, buck up. Grace says, you aren't missing any out anything that I have planned for you. You aren't missing out on anything that I have planned for you. That's grace. And it's because of grace, it's because of grace that James then invites us to look at this last bit of this section of Scripture where there's all of this command language. Submit yourselves, resist, draw near, cleanse, purify, lament, mourn, humble. You see, James knows that it's grace that animates us to do this stuff. Because once we realize that even though we run after other loves, our God is still pursuing us, that makes us stop running and turn back to God. James says, don't you want to submit to that God? And don't you want to just resist the devil? And the language that he uses here is the language of purification. And the Jews would have known about rituals of purification because they did them every time before they ate and every time before they worshipped. And there were symbols and rituals around making an outside expression of an inward change. Allison, you can take the scripture down now. James says all of this stuff to say, what is the outward expression of the inward change? What's going to be your outward expression that your God is running after you and you're going to turn around and run back toward him? In our house, all the catalogs now go right into recycling. My husband gets the mail. This is a very good thing. He gets the mail and he puts them right into recycling. And even when I had to get them for this morning, I had to pull them out of recycling. And I'm looking at them going, oh, I didn't know we got that one. Oh, which is why my husband gets the mail. They go right into recycling because I know I am seduced by the shiny new of the world. I have a friend who was going through a season where she was very discontent about what she looked like and her body and blah, 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 you know. And she had a big bathroom mirror. And she took sheets of paper and she taped them all over the mirror except for the little part that would tell her like if she had spinach in her teeth. That was like the only part she kept. The whole rest of the mirror was covered with sheets of paper. And she said to me, it was remarkable what that did for me. Because I was no longer getting out of the shower every day and noting every flaw. I have a friend 
who's decided that instead of getting ticked or annoyed or jealous or envious whenever he sees somebody having a good time on Facebook, he just blesses them right there in the moment. He prays for them. He just kind of prays his way through his newsfeed to ask God to keep blessing that person and keep them safe on vacation, help them to have a good time. An outward sign of an inward change. So what is God asking of you? What's going to be the outward sign of the inward change? Maybe it's time to get some anti-porn software and get into an accountability group and actually admit that you've got a problem with this. Maybe it's time to find a chapel buddy and say, I want to make worship a regular part of my life and I cannot trust myself to get there on my own. Maybe it's to have somebody else come and help you with your finances. To say, I've been sloppy with this for a long time and I want to surrender this all to God. Maybe you need different friends. What's going to be the outward sign of the inward change? Where is God inviting you to cleanse your hands and purify your hearts? The last verse of this section that we read today says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will do what? Lift you up, raise you up. And James is giving a nod there to the growing understanding of what happened in the life of his brother Jesus. That he humbled himself, humbled himself to become human, humbled himself to become a rabbi, humbled himself to be betrayed, humbled himself to death, even death on a cross. That at the name of Jesus, Every knee would bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord because his story did not end in humiliation. Jesus was raised from the dead. And if we are ever seduced by the things of the world, the shiny and the new, if we ever find ourselves desiring the wrong things, it is our Jesus who comes and brings us back and says, I stand with you. I have given my life for you. I run after you. That's grace. That's grace. That's our God. Will you pray with me? Our God, we thank you for grace. We thank you that you do not leave us when we run away, when we are seduced by the things of the world, but that you come after us. While we were still sinners, Christ Jesus, you died for us. We pray, Lord, that we will surrender all to you that we will lay down the things of this world so that our hands can be cleansed by you. Wash us and make us white as snow. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.